areas of serious growth within the modern church is what is known as the prosperity gospel. You heard of that? The prosperity gospel. So the, 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 the message, the idea that if uh, you and I obey God's word, then we will receive uh, both health and wealth. That if we live uh, in the way that God sets out in scripture, that we are going to prosper. And we are going to prosper both materially and we are going to uh, prosper uh, physically as well. Um, here's my hope. My hope is that in here um, we would all agree that the prosperity gospel is no gospel at all. That the prosperity gospel is nonsense. That that is an idea that is uh, both untrue uh, and also dangerous. But in saying that, how do these things work? I mean, how does this work? Let's say we are going through our lives just now and things are going well for us. You know, let's say... Pres- Materially, we are we are prospering. Is that a sign for us that we are living in a way that God wants us to live? Or let's flick it around, maybe more pertinently. Let's say things are not going well for us just now, and let's say we are suffering and we are going through hardship just now at this point in our, our life. Is that a sign that God? is displeased with us? Is that a sign that we are straying from where we should be as Christians? How does it how does it work? Well this morning in this passage of scripture that we've got here, what we find is the Apostle Paul and he travels to and he arrives in Jerusalem. And crucially, the thing that we have to to understand here is that as he is doing that, as he's traveling to Jerusalem, he is doing God's will. Do you see that in the previous portion of scripture last week we saw that the holy spirit was compelling paul you know pushing paul to go to jerusalem he's doing god's will in this journey but also what we see here in front of us today is that as he travels he experiences real hardship like he experiences real problems and difficulties you see the point you know paul is being obedient but at the same time, he is suffering. So what I want us to do this morning as a congregation is really to try and unpick that and unpack this section of scripture and really just to ask the question, what do we learn in these verses about the Christian life and suffering? The Christian life and suffering. So with that said, I would invite you at this moment to, to open your Bibles, turn with me uh, in scripture to Acts chapter 21. And let's notice the first of three ideas, three headings that we see here. Let's see that firstly, following God's will involves heartache. Following God's will involves heartache. Excuse me a sec. Okay, now the, the geographical movement uh, that has seen Paul travel from, from west to east across the Mediterranean here, 
It was up, interrupted last week. Do you remember that? When we saw uh, Paul stop uh, for a moment in the port of Miletus. Well, that sort of geographical movement across the Mediterranean, it begins again with haste here in Acts chapter 21. Paul does his own little bit of Greek island hopping, doesn't he? Do you see this? He is in Kos, and then he is in Rhodes, and he passes by a Cyprus before he eventually arrives in a Jerusalem. Now, as he travels, I think there's a couple of things that we should notice. We should see, first of all, that wherever he stops in this journey, who does he stay with? He stays at every time. There's so many points here. Every single time he, he stays with Christians. This idea of Christian hospitality, if you like, is at the fore. But I think more specifically than that, we should focus here on the emotional motif, the emotional refrain that keeps on <laughs> reappearing all the way through this. I wonder, do you see what I mean by an emotional motif? Do me the favor of looking in Scripture at verse 1. And look what, if you've got the NIV, the church Bible, the NIV renders it like this. Luke says, after we had done what? After we had torn ourselves away from them. Do you remember, if you were here last week, who the them is? Who has Paul had to tear himself away from? It was the Ephesian elders, wasn't it? So Paul, at this point here, has had to tear himself away from guys that he has spent three years with. He's had to tear himself away from guys that he has been in ministry with. You know, guys that he loves, surely, his best friends in Ephesus. You know, guys that he has pastored people with. Guys that he has taught alongside. And there's been, we just left it, there's just been this scene where they are down at the sea in Miletus. They're on the beach in Miletus and they've been kneeling together, Paul and these men, and they've been praying and they have been crying and they've been weeping. Why? Why? Because Paul has had to look at these men and he has had to say to them, never in this life will I ever, ever see you again. Do you see it? It is an emotionally traumatic experience for the Apostle Paul. And then he moves on. And look at this. What happens next? Verse 3. We see him arrive now in the city of Tyre. Now what does he do when he gets to Tyre? Well, Paul seeks out and he spends time with the Christian community in Tyre. Now, can you imagine what that would have been like? He arrives in Tyre and he's going to spend a little bit of time with these people. What does he do? Well, surely he's teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he? This is the Apostle Paul. He's doing that. And these people would have been caring for him as he comes in. But I want you to notice how it ends. Because see that traumatic experience that he's had in Miletus? It happens again. Look at this in verse 5. They are where? They are down by the sea again. And what are they doing? They are kneeling again and they are praying again. And, and all of these people, they are begging Paul, please don't go on to Jerusalem. And the whole sort of scene here, the atmosphere is intensified by the presence of the women. 
And the children, everyone is there. And Paul again is having to leave these people that he's been sharing his life with. Do you see it? It's more emotional trauma for this man. And you're reading that, I hope. If you're anything like me, you're reading that and you're thinking, man alive, this would have been so tough for this guy. You know, he is just going from place to place and he is making contact with people and he is opening his life to these people and then he has to carry on and then you read on you know what I'm going to say he gets to Caesarea guess what happens same thing more Christians more heartache more trauma eventually he gets to the point in verse 13 that Paul stands in front of these people and he says why are you people breaking my heart Friends, do you see the point? Paul is living in obedience. He is following God's will, but that does not mean his life is in any way easy. It isn't living faithfully. It will involve emotional pain. And as I say that to you just now, I cannot help but ask, is that not a description of your Christian life at the moment? Is it not? And come on, is that not a description of this congregation at London City Presbyterian Church? Isn't it? It is. It is. Let me tell you a story. It was the second Sunday um, that I was minister here a few years ago. Second Sunday. And uh, I do what I do when I finish the service. So I finish the service and I go to that door there and I welcome people and I... Or, Say goodbye to people. And uh, there was an Asian guy. And he was sneaking out of the church. And I grabbed him. And I got him. And I, uh, I asked him his name. And he told me that his name was Kiwon Lee. And from that moment, uh, this, this guy, Kiwon Lee, threw himself into the life of this church. Um, so he, he was playing the piano and he was in the servant road. And, and he really became friends with so many people in this congregation. And I would meet up regularly with this guy and we would uh, talk about his spiritual struggles and his spiritual walk. And then, do you know what he did? He told me, about 18 months later, he said, Andy, I have to leave. I'm leaving. Now, I am a Scottish Highlander, Okay. And we do not cry. We don't. It's not allowed to be a Scottish Highlander, you know. Uh, see, that day when Key said that to me, uh, I came back to the manse, I went into the study, and I closed the door, and I wept like a baby. I did. And I don't think it was so much because of Key. I think it was much more because I was confronted with the reality of what this congregation is about here in London. Now, if you've been in this congregation longer than I, you know that's true. That this is a congregation that sees people do what? This is a congregation that sees people leave. <laughs> they come for, for, for three months, six months, and the congregation hopefully open their lives and hearts to people. And then, just like the Ephesian elders here, we have to say, don't we? Never again in this life will we see you again. They, they, people, people go. And I, I tell you that it is hard. And a minister colleague of mine, he, he said uh, publicly, he said, he's in a, a, a congregation very similar to this, and, and he said, the key to it all 
is not to get too emotionally caught up. To not make too strong ties with people in the congregation. I want to say to you this morning, what absolute rubbish. I want to say this morning, look at the Apostle Paul. Think about the Apostle Paul here. He knows, categorically, he knows that if he goes into these places and shares his life with these Christians, what will happen? It will inevitably event an emotional heartbreak. He has to go, but what does he do? He keeps going back. He keeps seeking out Christians. He opens his heart to them. He opens his life to these people. Do you see the message? We mustn't allow potential emotional hurt to stop us pursuing the will of God in our lives. We must not allow potential emotional pain to stop us living in the pursuit of the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, we should expect this to happen to us if we are Christians. Why? Because in this, we are following in the footsteps of our Lord. Think about it. What is at the center of our faith? At the center of our faith is the most emotionally affecting situation that has ever taken place. Where a father has watched his one only son leave him. He has watched him go to his death. And he has watched him do that for people who hated the Father. The Christian life, the Christian walk, it's it's a walk of tears. Following God's will will involve heartache. Secondly, following God's will involves courage. It involves courage. Okay, here I want us as a congregation just to focus in on what happens in Caesarea here in verse 8. Okay, verse 8. So Paul's traveling and we're told that he stays, when he gets to Caesarea, he stays with a man called Philip the Evangelist. Now you know who that is if you've been here over the last number of months. Philip's that guy. Do you remember the guy who spoke with an Ethiopian eunuch? told him the gospel and the eunuch was saved and baptized. You remember that story in Acts chapter 8? That's this guy. Okay, that's this Philip that Paul's now staying with. And Philip's got four unmarried uh, daughters who prophesy. So Paul's staying with them. Now, during the stay, you know, the, the door goes and it's a man called Agabus the prophet. And he has come from Judea And he has come because he has got a prophetic message from God that he has to give to the Apostle Paul. A prophetic word from God to Paul. But I want you to notice what happens there before he gives him the message. Like in the manner of the Old Testament prophets, what Agabus does before he tells him, tells Paul his message, what he does is he sort of performs this sort of visual picture. He gives him a picture of what the the content of this prophecy is. Now, if you're part of this congregation, you know uh, that I'm not long back from a skive to uh, a conference in Orlando, Florida. And I've just got back from that. And you know what that's like when you're sort of doing all these sort of 
connections. You know, you fly to JFK in New York before you carry. You know, you know how you, you've got you've got to go through the airport security. I'm sure most of us have had to do that, and it is a stress, isn't it? And you feel a bit of a a, a fool, really, because you know you're out, you've got that tray, and you've got to put everything on this tray, and you're standing there, thing a bag with your toothpaste in it and, and so forth and all metal objects have to and there's me in Orlando and I've had to take my belt off and I'm standing there like a fool looking at my belt in a bit of a daze because I was thinking how did Agabus do what he does here? Do you see what he does here? Like Agabus goes to Paul and he grabs Paul's belt, not a short leather belt. I'm, I'm reckoning a long, long cloth rope. He grabs this belt. And Agabus ties his hands tightly. And then he binds his, his own feet with Paul's belt. Now, now, here's the thing. Look, Paul knew that he was going to Jerusalem. He knew that he was going there to suffer. But this is different I mean, be there, picture yourself there. This was menacing, wasn't it? I mean, a man in front of you saying, this is what is happening to you when you go to Jerusalem. You are going to be bound. Your hands, your feet are going to be bound. This was, this was scary. And it was so scary that all of the people that were there, all the Caesarean, the Christians, and even Luke, and all of Paul's companions, they are saying to Paul, look what's happening. You cannot go to Jerusalem. Look at what's going to happen to you. So all the more, I think we should be amazed at how Paul reacted. Do you see what he does? He ignores all of their voices. And even in the face of this man, bound hand and foot, he says, I am going to obey God's will. And I am going to Jerusalem. Friends, I want you to understand that here, as is so often, I think, the case in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul stands for us as an example. He stands for us as a paradigm, a picture of the Christian life. See, I think we're not bad at this. I think that if, say, somebody was to come in off the street this morning and... um, to, to ask us, say they were interested in Christianity, came in off the street and they asked us, okay, tell us about the Christian life. What's the Christian life like? I think in churches like ours, in sort of Reformed churches or Presbyterian churches, you know, we're not bad at understanding that the Christian life isn't easy. Like, I, I doubt anyone at the beginning of the sermon was saying, oh, but, but the gospel is about health and wealth. We get that it isn't about health and wealth. We understand that following Jesus Christ does not make our lives any easier, don't we? But perhaps it is true that we still have an insufficient theology and understanding of suffering. See, perhaps we're slipping into thinking that the Christian life, that it is just the same experience as everyone else. You know, we're saved and we're Christians and we've got our salvation sorted out. But really, practically speaking, in this life, you know, maybe we think, you know, we'll have the same highs and the same lows and we'll have the same experience of suffering as everyone else. Are we thinking like that? 
I want you to see that that's not right. I want you to see this morning that that is not biblical, that in actual fact, if we are living in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christian life involves greater. It involves more certain suffering. It is to that, friends, that you have been called. Think about what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, if anyone would come after me, that's us, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself that he must take up his cross daily. Do you, do you see what, what we're seeing? That the Christian life is a life that is characterized by suffering. And so all the more, we've got to look at Paul here and we've got to try and seek to emulate not just his courage, but his faith. No? I mean, what? What bravery this man shows here, knowing that not that the suffering that he was going to experience, it wasn't just possible, it wasn't just likely to happen, knowing that it was an absolute guarantee that he was going to suffer and be bound. What does he do? He goes, he goes, he obeys God and he goes. Oh, for just a fraction of that courage and faith. Oh, that we would be able to say with him, I've been bound. I'm willing to die. I'm willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, to understand that regardless of the, the certainty or the frequency or the severity of the suffering, that as it was with Paul in Jerusalem, guess what? God's will, God's grace is sufficient. You see it? His grace is sufficient for us. That yes, Christian suffering is true and it's real. But so is the sustaining hand of your God. His grace is sufficient. So following God's will involves heartache and it involves courage. I want to end with a third thing. Following God's will involves being dishonored people involves being dishonored the section of scripture that we've read doesn't just deal with Paul traveling to Jerusalem does it I read that second section so it also involves Paul's arrival in the city he gets to Jerusalem now to start with (laughs) That seems fine. That's cool, you know. You get everything's going okay. He gets into Jerusalem and he meets up with James and he meets with the elders and basically they're all rejoicing uh, in what God has been doing through, through Paul. Starts off, things are fine. But then the elders drop this almighty bombshell on Paul. Did you notice what it was? They tell him that the thousands of people, the thousands of Jews that had become Christians in the time since Paul has been in Jerusalem, that all of those Christians are united in one thing. Do you see what it is? They are united in their opposition to Paul. That they, they, They've been hearing that, that Paul is going about opposing God's law. 
They've been hearing that, 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 that Paul is rejecting sort of cultural expressions of Judaism. And, and all of these people are angry about this. They are angry and they are opposed to Paul. Now, I, I think, I'm sure you'd agree, that Paul must have been devastated to come into Jerusalem after all that traveling and to find that they are opposed to him. But the elders have got a plan. And it is the weirdest of plans, isn't it? Do you see what the plan is? It's very odd. They've got some, there's four men in Jerusalem and they are involved in this purification rite that involves uh, shaving uh, off your hair. And uh, they want Paul to be sort of involved and come alongside it and be involved. Just to show publicly that he is not rejecting Moses and not rejecting uh, God's law. Now, you maybe think that that's a weird plan. Regardless of how weird you think that plan is, I want you to see how amazing it is that Paul would go along with this plan. Let me ask you this. Have you ever uh, been let down by the people who are closest to you in your life? Have you ever been let down by those you are supposed to be able to trust and they are supposed to be able to trust you? Has that happened to you? Do you see that that is what happens to Paul? They weren't Jews. They weren't Jews, were they? They were Jewish Christians. I mean, they were the children of God. They were the people that Paul's come to see and spend time with and and, and share his life with. And they are opposed to him. Isn't that incredible? Then let me ask you something else. Have you ever had lies told about you behind your back? Has that happened to you? Do you see again that that is what happens to Paul? Do you see that this wasn't true? Like, okay, Paul had been telling the Gentiles, hadn't he, that they did not need to be circumcised for salvation. Of course he had. But he hadn't been telling the Jews that they didn't need to circumcise their their kids. He wasn't telling them to get rid of of the the law out of hand and to complete. I mean, he, remember, he circumcised Timothy. We're told here it it was lies. And then let me put you on the spot. I love doing that. Let me test your... New Testament knowledge for a moment. You ready for it? See if you know this one. We've seen over the last few weeks that Paul has been in this rush, mad rush, to get to Jerusalem, hasn't he? Remember, he wouldn't go into Ephesus because he was desperate to get to Jerusalem. Here's the question for you. Think about the rest of the New Testament. Why? Why was Paul in such a rush? We're told in the New Testament later that there was a famine that had taken place in Jerusalem. Do you know what Paul had been doing? We look at that missionary journey, the last last one that he was on. He wasn't just going around strengthening the churches. Do you know what he was doing? He was gathering a financial collection for the Jews of Jerusalem, for the Christians of Jerusalem. Gathering up money. So can you imagine what this is like? He comes into Jerusalem and he's carrying all this money and these provisions for these people who have been suffering. They've gone through this famine and he comes in and he's bearing gifts. He's been desperate to get this stuff to these people. And what does he find out? They've been lying about him. They've been talking about him behind his back. That they are 
opposed to him. Can you imagine how heartbreaking this was for Paul? And yet, what does he do? He goes through with a plan. He risks public abuse in order to seek the unity of the people of God. Friend, I want you to hear this as we close. This is what you should expect as a child of God. You know, this church here is full of sinners. Way too often we think, okay, if I'm, if I'm living in obedience to God, if I'm obeying, and I'm, if I'm praying, if I'm reading, then my church life is going to be awesome and I'm going to get on great with all the people of God and everything's going to just be hunky-dory. Do you see here it's not like that? This is a church that's full of sinners. All churches are full of sinners. Christians, although it is disgusting, Christians let each other as well. So we see here what we must do. We respond even to that. When that happens, we respond with humility and we seek the unity of the people of God for the glory of Jesus. And with him, I will end. Like if you take anything away from this, you know that the Christian life isn't health wealth. It is not about the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is guff. It's suffering as to what we've been called. But hear this. Because of Jesus, it shall not always be like that. Because he endured suffering that is greater than we will ever experience. It shall not always be like that. Because he endured suffering for our sin. It shall not always be like this. One day, because of Jesus and what he has done, there will be no emotional trauma. Imagine that, people. No heartache. Because of Jesus, there will be no need for courage. There will be no dishonor. Because of Jesus, because he has died for sin, the people of God will live in peace and we will live together in harmony. So until that day, I ask you to pray. Pray that like Paul, we remain fixed upon our Savior and we remain leaning on his grace. Because it is sufficient. It is sufficient for us regardless of the pain. So let's pray.